The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show focused on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, the largest provider of cancer support services in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, which is being brought to you in part by Amgen and Genentech, we will be talking about the challenges experienced by Latino Americans who are facing a cancer diagnosis. 45.5 million Americans, or 15% of the total U.S. population, identify themselves as Hispanic or Latino. The Cancer Support Community offers support and education programs for all people affected by cancer, and several of our more than 50 affiliate locations cater specifically to the unique needs of the Latino population. Uh, I'm really pleased to have three wonderful guests with me today who are each actively involved in the development of resources and support for this population. Uh, in the next hour, we're going to discuss the challenges faced by Latinos when they or, or a loved one is diagnosed with cancer and the resources available to help them. But before we uh, meet our guests, I just want to look at a few facts and figures about the Latino population in the U.S. and why this is such an important topic for us to be talking about uh, today. Um, Latinos are the largest and fastest growing minority group in the country, as I said, making up 15% of the U.S. population. Um, it's certainly a common misconception that all Latinos uh, speak Spanish. Uh, in fact, Hispanic individuals originate from more than 40 countries and could speak a language other than Spanish, perhaps Portuguese, French, Dutch. Um, and just in terms of terminology, I want to address that for a minute. The word Hispanic um, is a term used by the U.S. government, and uh, you'll hear us use words Latino, Latina. Um, sometimes those are kind of chosen by individuals themselves as a term of reference. So throughout the discussion today, we may use both words interchangeably, but really are referring to the same um, group of individuals in the U.S. So just want to clarify that. You may hear us say Hispanic, Latino, Latina. Um, now that we know a little bit more about this group, let's look at some facts about uh, about cancer in this group. Cancer is the second leading cause of death among Hispanics. Um, in short, one in two Hispanic men and one in three Hispanic women will be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. Uh, Latinos, in fact, have a lower cancer occurrence and death rates than non-Hispanic white people for most common cancers, but they're more likely to be diagnosed at a more advanced, advanced stage of the disease. Um, this is really significant because cancers diagnosed at a later stage are much harder to treat or cure, as we know. Um, when cancer is caught earlier, it's easier to treat and leads to, to, to longer well-being and, and, and survival. 
Um, we're not exactly sure why Latinos are diagnosed with cancer at a later stage than some other ethnic groups, but it may be due to factors such as having less knowledge about symptoms, having limited access to screening services, uh, things like mammograms, et cetera. We're going to dive into that a little bit today. Um, we also know that many Hispanics face financial, structural, personal barriers to receiving health care, um, financial barriers. Uh, may include not having health insurance, um, uh, income issues, other barriers could be poor geographic access to specialists, lack of transportation, things like that. Um, you know, and other barriers, which we're also going to dive into, may include cultural or language uh, factors, and um, we'll get into that. But all of these can become a major challenge when a person is, is diagnosed with cancer. So let me bring our guests. Uh, into the conversation here. We've got three wonderful folks who I want to introduce um, who are going to enlighten us today on the challenges faced by Latinos and their families facing a cancer diagnosis. First, I'm so pleased to welcome Jeanette Albaran, uh, the Latino Program Coordinator and Satellite Site Manager for Gilda's Club Chicago, uh, an affiliate of the Cancer Support Community. She has worked with the Latino community in Chicago for over 15 years and joined Gilda's Club in Chicago a little over seven years ago when the club received funding to commit to serving the Latino community in Chicago. Thanks for being here, Jeanette. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Uh, we are also joined by Gloria Elliott. Gloria is a licensed professional mental health counselor and the clinic, clinical co-supervisor of survivorship programs for Nueva Vida. Nueva Vida is a support organization for Latinas with cancer and their families in the Washington, D.C. area and a good friend of the cancer support community. Um, Gloria has worked with the Latino community in the Washington, D.C. area since the early 80s. Uh, she and Nueva Vida recently partnered with the cancer support community on a new resource for Latino Cancer caregivers will be discussing that a little bit later in the show. Thanks for being here, Gloria. Thank you very much for having me. And lastly, we're pleased to welcome Migdalia Torres, the program director for another one of our CSC affiliates, Gildas Club in New York City. Uh, a licensed clinical social worker, Migdalia has been providing social and emotional support at our Gildas Club in New York City for the past eight years. She has spent much of her career working with the chronically ill, including both the cancer and dementia populations. Migdalia is fluent in Spanish and this year launched a Spanish-speaking support group for Latina women living with breast cancer. So glad you could be here, Migdalia. Thank you. So we've got a lot to cover on the show, so I, I want to I jump right in. I'm going to start with you, um, Gloria. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to tell us about Nueva Vida, um, when and why the organization was founded, and, and, and really maybe outline some of the services that you offer to Latinos in the D.C. area. I'll be happy to. Uh, Nueva Vida was founded in 1996 by a group of Latina breast cancer survivors and health professionals uh, to fill the gap for culturally sensitive bilingual support services for the Latino community in the Washington, D.C. area, includes Maryland, Virginia, and D.C., and um, it, it was very important to create a support network to help this group navigate the system um, of healthcare available. Uh, so we began to offer comprehensive uh, model of services, including education, navigation, emotional support, advocacy, addressing you know the critical needs of these women, often living in poverty and far from their families. Uh, beyond the services, we also <laughs> place great, great importance to collaborate with the scientific community in research for best practices. Fantastic, fantastic. And, and Gloria, what is your role 
in the oh, organization my, my today, role. and how has the organization really kind of grown and changed since '96? Oh my God, we started in 1994 uh, uh, when I was director of the mental health program at La Clinica del Pueblo, with three women sent to us by the medical department, a floor below us, <laughs> and uh, we, you know, with only three women in a very cold room in the old building now, we, they have a wonderful building. So, you know, then there was a research coming up that it was very important to have a group for women because that will help them to survive better. And, you know, so we began with the idea to, to form groups and ask for funds, and the Coleman Foundation gave us the first seed money. Mm. So two years later, that little group became Nueva Vida, completely independent, uh, and, uh, yeah. Life. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. And my role right now is I am the co-supervisor of the clinical program and also chair of the board of directors. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks. Um, Miguel, tell us about the, the Latino community in the, in the New York City area, and, and when did you at Gilda's Club New York City begin outreach to this group? What kinds of services are, are you offering? Apparently, so as you start to say, you know, uh, the census indicate that there are 35 million Latinos living in the United States. In New York City, um, Latinos make up 27.5% of the population compared to 12% of the entire U.S. Mm. population. Wow. And among this group, 25% are uninsured. Latinos are the second largest population after um, non-Hispanics. And Puerto Ricans, specifically in New York City, comprise the largest subgroup among all Latinos. And this represents native-born or more recent immigrants, may speak only Spanish, low-income, underinsured, uninsured, and certainly due to beliefs that they carry from their country have a greater misconception and inaccurate information about health-related matters, which we certainly try to address. And in 2001, Gilda's Club New York City um, hired its first Spanish bilingual Latina social worker to really address what we started to observe, which was an underrepresentation of this large Latino population, especially in our community. And so we decided to hire our first Latino population. And in three months after she arrived, she facilitated our first Spanish language weekly support group called Café con Leche, which is coffee and milk, which is a very popular <laughs> drink uh, among Latinos. Currently, our membership here at the Manhattan New York City Clubhouse um, Six percent of our members are Latino. Mm-hmm. And so, so obviously not reflective of the, reflective. the population so there that we know. So, tell us what kind of outreach you're doing to make these programs more visible to the Latino community, and you know, help bring them in to take advantage of the support that you're providing. So I'm really excited about that question because what we have recognized, in order to really do outreach that's really effective to this community, we yeah. really to provide access to our support program. We have to go to neighborhoods and communities where this population lives, where they trust going to their local community organizations mm. and to support and feel that they can develop a trusting relationship within the community. And so, for example, we have developed a satellite program uh, and that's being hosted by a local community cancer center, and we facilitate a weekly support group on site, and in a matter of three weeks, we had over 20 patients sign up for a weekly support group, which is unheard of even in, in the streamline of referrals that we get in our general clubhouse. It's very hard to start a group in less than three months in our clubhouse.
house. And yet we went to this community. There was such a demand. There was so much trust already in the community that when the medical staff said, here is a site support group, they ran with it and, and asked very few questions. And that's what we've learned, that we have to go into communities um, that are underrepresented here to provide our support on site. And we find that to be the most effective with this particular population. So when, you, when, when we say the word outreach, you're really talking about outreach. You're really talking about getting out there into communities. Absolutely. And so are you, you're, going, you're going to the hospitals, you're going to community organizations, you're going kind it of, was, you know. Anywhere where there could be a referral uh, resource to anyone who has cancer. And so we're developing relationships with synagogues, recreational centers, cancer diagnostic centers, hospitals. Anyone who wants to partner with Gilda's Club New York City in hosting a component of our program on site to serve this population, we're, we're talking. Great, fantastic. Um, we're, we are uh, co- coming up on a, on a, on a quick break, and um, we're going to do that. And right after the break, we're going to bring Jeanette Albaram from Chicago um, into the conversation. But today uh, we are talking about the uh, Latino community in the United States and um, what it means for this community when they are facing a cancer diagnosis, what kind of resources uh, are, are out there that are available to them. Uh, the Latino community represents 15% uh, of the total U.S. population. It is a thriving and growing um, community in this country, which also means when you look at any data or statistics, it's going to be an increasing group that is going to be facing cancer. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. Steps to a Healthier You. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Morphotech and Novartis Oncology. We are talking about resources available for Latinos who are facing cancer uh, in the United States, and um, we uh, we heard from our uh, partners at Nueva Vida. Uh, we heard from Migdalia Torres, who runs our program at the Gildas Club in New York City. Um, and now I want to bring Jeanette Albaran into the conversation. Um, Jeanette is with our Gildas Club uh, in Chicago. I understand, Jeanette, that you have a very active program for Latinos affected by cancer. Can you talk about the services that you're providing in the uh, Chicago area and how those programs and services are growing? Sure. First, I want to indicate very similarly to what Medalia stated. Um, she said that in New York City, the, the majority of the population, the Latino population, is Puerto Rican over there. Um, very opposite to, to that, um, that's the second highest population here in the Chicagoland area for Latinos. But our biggest concentration of Latinos re- resides within the Mexican-American community. Mexican, okay. So those are, that's the community that we focus on greatly um, in Gilda's Club in Chicago. And we and um, one of the things that we've seen our program uh, for Latinos for support for Latinos began um, in 2000 in 2004, and when the f- program was first started, 12% of our overall um, participation were from Latinos from Latinos, and it's grown to 22%. Wow! Um, so we've had a, we've had we've made tremendous strides in the community. Um, very similarly to what Magdalia said, we do outreach um, out into the communities and churches. Um, we have joined legislative committees um, to help legislators advocate on our behalf. Um, and, you know, our, our program model offers the same model as um, McDougall's program in that we offer support groups um, specifically in Spanish for people with a cancer diagnosis. We also have um, a support group for family members or caregivers who have someone in their life with cancer and bereavement groups in Spanish. Interesting in loss, there is um, a shortage of, of support groups in general, in any chronic illness in the Chicagoland area. So we get a lot of phone calls all the time. We do offer a support group for people um, with multiple sclerosis. So it just, it, just speaks to the, it just speaks to how great the need is for support groups in, in the Spanish language in general. Mm. Um, you know, we also offer mind-body programs in Spanish, and it's been very successful. One of the things that we've implemented um, this past year has been a Spanish spirituality group that meets once a month, and it's um, delivered by a chaplain. We, re- we realize that... Um, um, the Latino community, um, you know, has has a very, very high level commitment to spiritual beliefs. So we do bring in a chaplain um, to talk about non-denominational, talk about spiritual beliefs, and how that impacts um, the care that they're receiving and their follow-up with care. Um, we also do medical lectures in Spanish. Um, we, we try to give out information specific to their diagnosis um, in their language. And we also um, have a big focus on social activities that are also specific to the Latino community. So we celebrate things such as a Cinco de Mayo or a Hispanic Heritage Month. We bring entertainers. Um, we do a social activity so that um, people have the opportunity to come into our, to, to our environment in a non-threatening way. Yeah. Sometimes if you invite someone over and tell them, please come on over to a support group, they hear the word support and say, well, I'm not going to talk about my diagnosis or I'm not going to talk about my loved one's diagnosis. So being able to offer a variety of things to see, you know, which one would be the hook to bring people in because it could be different for everyone. Sure, Mm -hmm. sure. Um, When we started the show off, we talked about uh, the fact that many Hispanics face financial, structural, personal barriers to to, uh, accessing health care. I want to turn to this expert panel we have today for some clarification on what this fact means, uh, you know, in in, in reality. Um, Migdalia from New York, um, how are the challenges faced by Latinos dealing with a cancer diagnosis different from challenges faced by by the the, uh, 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 English-speaking population? 
Well, there are many, but specifically to the, gro- uh, to the growing population of Latino ig- immigrants, there is the huge challenge of integrating into a foreign society and navigating mm-hmm. such a wide range of unfamiliar systems during a very stressful time, such as you know a chronic illness, and, and also dealing with the foreign language issues, which all affect access to quality cancer care and education. Uh, for example, I, and you mentioned this earlier, Kim, the ca- in the case of breast cancer in Latinas, yeah. um, which presents a challenge when it comes to indication because although breast cancer diagnoses are lower among Latinas than in the general population, the disease mm-hmm. is the most commonly diagnosed cancer and the leading cause of cancer death among Latina women. Mm-hmm. So the lower rates may lead to the harmful misconception that they don't need to worry. And, mm-hmm. that this, and this contributes to the inadequate screening that then can lead to more advanced stage diagnosis. Right. So again, we keep coming back to this lack of, you know, education because of lack of bar- because of barriers such as lack of insurance, um, lack of low income, and you know, all of this, you know, fuels fear. And so, you know, taking um, the opportunity for regular um, checkups and medical care and screening becomes a real hardship. But specifically, also for um, immigrants who really have the challenge of learning, having to learn how to navigate all these systems and, yeah. and having the difficulty of language issues as well. So, so Gloria, let's turn to that. So, you know, it goes without saying that, that, uh, that Latinos facing a cancer diagnosis may encounter, you know, language, language barriers. Mm-hmm. But there are also, we know, some cultural differences that might make it harder or less likely for uh, Latinos to, to seek or, or receive support. Can you talk to us about... Yeah some of the cultural differences right. and how that really impacts cancer care. Right. Um, in addition to what uh, Migdalia said, I think it's very important to understand that language barriers is part of the larger theme of cultural barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, um, in, in, there, is, there is such a thing as, as um, the, the way that the, our clients, which, by the way, are clients not only from Central America, Mexico, and Puerto Rico, but also from South America. We have lots of South mm-hmm. Americans. And mm-hmm. uh, they, 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 you know, the way they perceive the American way of uh, care system is, is, is such a cold approach. They, mm-hmm. they really like to have in, uh, the kind of attention that includes a warm way to interact, a nurturing way to interact, which may include physical closeness, such as hugs, such as um, doctors really asking questions. Do you understand? Do you? What do you want to know? You know, really inviting the patient to ask questions, because in our culture, really, the doctor is like the maximum authority. It's close to God. So whatever the doctor says mm-hmm. is okay. And, and they're kind of shy, in addition to the language barrier, but they're also shy, culturally speaking, to confront the doctors with, you know, other questions like, you know, do mm-hmm. I need a second opinion? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that that are very uh, in, uh, different. We are not as assertive, I guess, uh, which is also interpreted, could be interpreted as aggressiveness, but uh, it's not that the issue. You know, the issue is that we need to empower our clients to be more vocal, <laughs> and that's what we do at Nueva Vida. You so, know, the, 
So, so Gloria, the idea, for example, of, uh, you know, we now in, in, in cancer care, we always talk about, well, you know, you should, uh, in almost every case, you should get a second opinion. But really, in the Latino culture, that idea of, a, of, a, of asking for a second opinion is almost offensive, that the doctor is an ultimate authority and that you really wouldn't, yeah. you would, really wouldn't want to challenge the doctor or, or offend the doctor by saying, I think I should get a second opinion. It's very hard to understand, and it causes a lot of stress. And, uh, again, you know, the navigation aspect, where do I get a second opinion in this country? You know, right. what do I do? I don't understand anything. Maybe the second opinion should be God. <laughs> so <they're laughs> faith is a very important tool here. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, whatever God means, but, you know, it, we, yeah, that's what we deal with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I, you know I, Jeanette, let me pull you in here. I know that mm-hmm. um, our... Uh, that, that we have a, a you know a center of cancer support community affiliate in in uh, Miami, and I know that one of the issues that they face there is the program director there always says to me, "There's no such thing as the kind of Latino community. Forget it. You know, there are all of these different segments of the Latino community." And one of the things she says is that there's a there's a divide, for example, between those who are documented and those who are not documented, and that mm-hmm. those who are documented don't want to be in support groups with immigrants who are undocumented. I mean, are, you know, these are some of the socioeconomic and cultural issues that I think we're facing. Jeanette, are you seeing, you know, some of those same issues? Yes, we are seeing some of those same issues. But, but when it comes down to it, although there is those differences between the documented and undocumented, you know, Latinos are very family-oriented. And once yeah. there's a trust that's established, mm-hmm. um, regardless if they're documented or undocumented, they want to support one another. They want to embrace each other. So although initially there might be that barrier, you know, once we do get people together and start talking, you know, we break through those bar- they break through those barriers and they support one another. So I, I think the biggest challenge is always trying to get people through the door to get, to get support. And one of the things that I think is one of our, um, one of the things that happens in our culture is that we believe that everything that happens in the family needs to stay in the family. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the barriers to people getting support at times. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's, it's a very great, um, you know, it's a great value to have, it becomes a great challenge. But, it, but in the challenge, it's just, it just takes time. You know, it's important to build trust with the families. You know, one of the things that we do is do outreach in hospital oncology waiting areas. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been in that role at times, and I've gone um, for very months continuously to the same waiting room have met the same family maybe five or six times Mm -hmm. and they still haven't stepped through our door Um, but sometimes at the sixth time they finally come through the door and I think it's a matter of they're getting familiar with me they know me they know that once they walk through that door there's going to be a familiar face so I think you know the I think the element of trust is so so important in our culture and establishing that trust and it's it's also establishing that it's a it's a confidential environment at Gilda's Club is that part of the Absolutely. Yep. Everything that happens at Gilda's Club stays at Gilda's Club. So, um, you know, we do, you know, one part of our program is that we have, have a warm home-like environment. So we try as, as much as possible to make sure that nothing that we offer at the club resembles um, an institution such as a hospital. Right. Um, although we are, one of the things that we are beginning to do is we're finding that um, people are not finding out about social and emotional support when they're initially diagnosed. Mm-hmm. We have people coming through the doors um, one year, two years after they were diagnosed and saying, I really wish I knew where I could have gone for support. Um, right. As a result, you know, we, we are, tr- are trying to pave the way now to have um, 
support support groups and activities that just, such as what we offer at our main Gilda's Club inside the hospital setting. Inside the hospital, really yeah, reaching we, out to the right. And to we the opened our first satellite location in 2006 here in Chicago at a hospital that the majority of the patients that they serve here are are Latino. Um, right. and, and that's going very well. So fantastic, yeah. Jeanette. We're yeah. gonna um, we're just gonna take a quick break. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about uh, Latinos and cancer uh, in the U.S. We have a great expert panel. We're gonna take a quick break, and we will be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Journey into the realm of spirit, the source of all things. Master fear in these tumultuous times and learn ancient ways to abundant love and healing. Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity, will awaken the unique genius within you. Host Christina Pratt challenges you to initiate your innate powers within to gain health, well-being, and joy through the practices of Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. Tune in each week to Why Shamanism Now, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on 7th Wave Network. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo, and I'm here today with three women who work tirelessly to bring social and emotional support to Latino families dealing with cancer. Gloria Elliott is with us from Nueva Vida, a support organization based in Washington, D.C. Uh, we also have representatives from two cancer support community affiliates, Migdalia Torres from Gilda's Club New York City, as well as Jeanette Albaran from Gilda's Club Chicago. Just uh, a terrific panel. We're having a wonderful conversation if you are just joining us. Uh, just a few weeks ago, the Cancer Support Community and Nueva Vida together announced a new publication available for Latino cancer caregivers. Uh, this is part of our Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. It is called De Cuidador a Cuidador. 
From Caregiver to Caregiver. Uh, it is an educational booklet written in Spanish for the caregivers of women with breast cancer. Um, and uh, another partner of ours on the book is um, Ricardo Antonio Chavira. Many of you know Ricardo as uh, Carlos on Desperate Housewives, and he is a good friend of the cancer support community uh, and, and has been helpful. Uh, in fact, uh, lost his mother to breast cancer when he was uh, just a teen and uh, has two sisters who are breast cancer survivors. And he uh, and one of his sisters are featured on the cover of this book, um, uh, the booklet provides much-needed information for caregivers and family members of a woman who's been diagnosed with breast cancer. It is available at no cost at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Again, take a look at that. It's called De Cuidador a Cuidador, From Caregiver to Caregiver. Uh, Gloria, you were part of the group that developed this booklet. We mm-hmm. were so thrilled to partner with Nueva Vida on this program. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about this new resource and, and, and the kinds of issues that, that it addresses? And, and, and really who it's for. Yeah. Uh, this new resource um, really is um, something that it was created by the community, uh, and each chapter of this booklet is, um, expresses their needs, their worries, their concerns. So they totally identify with the booklet. Our community is so happy about it because caregivers is one of those, those are one of those groups that are kind of um, hidden. You know, they, yeah. they really yeah. do not come to, for help. And uh, because our women, at least the women that come to Nueva Vida, tend to be those super women that have always taking care of the family in all aspects almost. So when they get cancer, they are completely, they continue in the same role. And uh, the family do not want to ask questions because they perceive that asking questions will actually uh, put stress on the women. So it becomes a very difficult subject. And women bring this issue in individual counseling. They said, I don't know what to do with my husband. I don't know what to do mm-hmm. with my child. Mm-hmm. You know, my husband is not coming home <laughs> until yeah. very late. My child is completely rebellious now mm-hmm. until they begin to realize that they have very high symptoms of anxiety, depression mm-hmm. that are not dealing with. So yeah. we created this workshops, which was the, the base for the brochure. The, the workshops are a three-dimensional model. We bring once a month the caregivers along with the families, the wives, you know, the children, and we divide them in three or four groups depending on the age yeah. and with a therapist. And we discuss the issues. And each chapter that you see in the booklet is a condensation of all these issues that were presented by them through a whole year of workshops. So that's the story about it, and I think that barrier has been solved in our group. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful wonderful program. And I know Ricardo, who I mentioned is a partner on this book, and he plays Carlos on on, on Desperate Housewives. He, uh, you know, he has said to us, look, you know, Kim, I grew up in this stuff. I know, you know, I know about macho, I know about machismo, I know about (laughs) men, you know, oh, those are women's issues, you know, they mujeres, they want to put them over there, and they don't want to talk about cancer, and they don't want to talk about this, which is why we felt, I think, together, we felt it was so important to, um, uh, to, to, 
figure out how to help these mm-hmm. men, these Latino men, help their uh, help their partners, help their spouses through the breast cancer um, uh, experience. And I know McDowell and Jeanette McDowell, I'll start with you. I know that you know Gilda's Clubs and all of our CSC affiliates offer support, not just for patients but for families and loved ones. Um, tell us, well, you know, I know you've both run groups for for both Latino and non-Latino. Um, Groups. So tell us, is, 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 tell us in your experience running groups for Latino families. Tell us about the role of the family caregiver. Tell us about the ro- role of the patient, the role of the the, the, the male care, caregiver, and how that might differ from the non-Hispanic groups. Migdalia, I'll start with you. Well, you know, first, you know, understanding that the complexities of any culture really require us to become knowledgeable in the different Hispanic subgroups, that Dominicans can be very different from Mexicans or Puerto Ricans yeah. or Ecuadorians, and it's really being sensitive and knowledgeable of how they are distinct. And so my observation in general in terms of Latino family caregivers, there seems to be one common issue in terms of, you know, one distinction is, that in the Latino culture, it's assumed that the role of a daughter, for example, is that of being the primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. Especially the eldest daughter is expected to take on the responsibility of caring for her partner, for her parent, regardless of where she might be in her own personal life. She might be mm-hmm. a student raising her own children. That the priority and the primary role of that eldest daughter is to care for that parent who might be chronically ill now. Um, and, and that has been a clear distinction for me in working with the Latino population for the last eight years, that this is almost like a prescribed, you know, assumed role. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that puts a tremendous burden. And sometimes there are multiple children in the family, but the burden falls on this eldest daughter, for example. And, mm-hmm. and that has been a, a, a very sort of consistent observation for me in, in the last Eight years, and and that does vary from the counterpart culture, perhaps the non-Hispanic culture, where that may not be the case typically. Well, I have to say, as the eldest daughter in a very big non-Hispanic family, mm-hmm. I think maybe the theme does extend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could definitely, uh, but it's one that I've certainly observed yeah. primarily within the Latino population. It's, expect- it's expected. It's really. expected. Really, it's expected is what you're saying. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's much. where everybody everybody turns. Jeanette, what, what, what unique things are you seeing with Latino families in terms of role of the patient, role of the caregiver? Um, what are your observations there in Chicago? Well, one of the main dif- differentiators between the Latino culture and the non-Hispanic culture is that we're a highly collective society. Um, therefore, you know, it's really ingrained really early, early on that we must care for all of our family members, mm. whether it be the young one to the elderly, um, but more so when they are ill. You know, it, we, it's ingrained in us that when um, one of our family members falls ill, it's our responsibility to care for them. Mm-hmm. And it's solely the responsibility of the family, not any, mm. not any outside source. And that's why sometimes, you know, we, we face issues, our, our Latino families face issues because they're not willing to ask for support. They're not willing right. to ask for support because they feel that um, this is solely their responsibility, and they're not willing to ask for support for the other issues that we discussed, like lack of trust. Um, but you know, in, in our um, other in non in non Hispanic cultures, we see you know that people are more ind- individually focused and they are willing to seek support. So I think you know when we think about um, Latino family caregiving, um, trying to work through that barrier that you know you really can ask for support, you can really ask for help, even within your own family. Because sometimes we will see one of the some of the things that we see among families is that especially um, like Gloria mentioned, the whole role of superwoman. I want to take this on. It's solely my responsibility. I don't need to ask anyone else to help me. I don't want to burden anyone. 
Um, and when it comes to emotional support with this whole thought of um, being a burden, um, women are not usually um, open about expressing how they feel about their cancer diagnosis when they're the patient because they don't really want to worry, um, you know, their family members or their loved ones. So, it, it, you know, it's multifaceted, the challenges that we face um, with Latino families when, in regards to caregiving um, or whether they're the patient. So. Yeah, Jeanette, you know, I have some friends from Latin America who, who said to me that you you don't see the pervasiveness of of retirement communities and, and nursing homes in <laughs> Latin America the way that you see them in the United States because as you're suggesting, it's really, really culturally, mm-hmm. it really is the family's responsibility and that when your parents can't continue to live on, on their own in the yeah. United States, you know, we move them into a nursing home or a retirement yeah. facility, but in Latin America, you move them back in with you. Well, we have a very high regard for our elders um, in Latin America. We see them as, you know, they're full of wisdom. Um, they're the ones that paved the road for us. So we really, really want to care for them and do the best that we can to make sure that if it is their final moments that they're really well taken care of. So, you know, it's, it's just interesting. You're right. That's not that's something that we don't really see in Latin America is nursing homes or skilled um, care facilities. So, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But are you, seeing, are you seeing that change as generations get ingrained, more ingrained in U.S. culture? Yeah, you know, the more people, the more there's like third or fourth generation um, Latin, Ameri- Latin Americans that are raised here, we're starting yeah. to see a little shift um, in that thinking. So... Yeah. Right. I, I yeah. wanted to say something. May yes, I? Yes, please. Yes, sorry, please. I, I think we've, got, it, we've got about a, about a minute or two until the break. Please jump in. Yeah, very quickly. Uh, the way we solve the issue with bringing caregivers and families into therapy or psychosecuducational workshops, as we call them, yes. was to first motivate the women survivors that were coming to individual counseling to to bring to ask them to bring the families. And so the whole family was beginning to get help, but there was no way that the caregivers will come by themselves or that the children will come by themselves, even the adult children. So the women had a tremendous role in bringing that. I just wanted to share that. Yes, we're, so, we've seen that in Chicago as well, that if yeah. we tell the person with the cancer diagnosis yes. to bring in their family for support, then they'll come. But if it's for themselves, they won't do it. Right, but if they're right. doing it for their family... But that's the way they begin yeah. to be, begin the support once right. they get to know the other families. Absolutely. The caregivers begin to get unified. Okay. Right. It's, it's fantastic. So we're really seeing uh the uh the central importance and the central role uh of the family right. um mm-hmm. you know extending into uh into the healthcare space there's no 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 reason that that would change when someone in the family is you know diagnosed with cancer that certainly carries through mm-hmm. uh you know through th- through the cancer experience and i think we you know as organizations serving people with cancer need to make sure we understand those things and take all of those factors into account as we're kind of developing and creating programs to um, to support the Latino community. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We are talking today about uh, Latinos and cancer uh, in the U.S. and the challenges they face, some of the resources available to them. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Do you remember what life was like when you were young? Having the mobility and ability to play all day and then sleep through the night without needing coffee in the morning? For the majority of us, gone are those days. But they don't have to be. Transforming Health with Brad King will show you how you can awaken your youthful energy potential and live a disease-free life of abundant energy and vitality. Transforming Health is broadcast live every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Throughout the episode, we've been talking about the challenges experienced by Latino Americans when dealing with cancer in the family. In this last segment, I'd like to talk to our expert panel about the resources available to Hispanic patients and their family members. Um, Magdalia, you provide support services for people in the New York City area, while Gloria and Jeanette offer support in D.C. and Chicago. Um, Are there resources available for families dealing with cancer who don't live in, 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 you know, you guys are all in major urban areas. Um, Migdalia, are you seeing people from the far reaches? Uh, do you know of other resources that are out there for, for folks not in a metropolitan area? Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, because we are, we are located in New York City, I mean, people travel from all over the world for the quality medical care that's provided here in New York City. Um, cancer resources do become more and more scarce and limited in general as we move to more non-urban areas, especially for minority populations that are already underrepresented in some of these areas. And, and this is why, you know, educational materials such as the Frankly Speaking About Cancer are so critical. Right. Um, able to disseminate that information that otherwise would not be available because, you know, through frankly speaking, they're, li- they're hearing from other caregivers who understand, for example, and in turn, you know, decrease the common as- uh, you know, isolation that, you know, ex- you know, caregivers especially experience when caring for someone with cancer. So resources, you know, are, you know, become more and more limited. And, you know, however, there are some national resources that are available, but not so much local community-based resources. Right, right, and I, you know, I want to encourage folks to go to, to uh, our, our website at uh, cancersupportcommunity.org, and you will find a whole range of resources available uh, for folks across the country. Um, and I know that there are resources as well on the Nueva Vida website. Um, I, we've talked a little bit about the past. We've talked a little bit about how each of your programs serving Latino families has grown over the years. Let's talk a little bit about the future. Well, I'm going to start with Gloria, and again, we're going to go quickly to, to each of you on this question, but, but where do you see the need for the future? How do you hope to grow education and support and the services that, that you are offering Latino families in your area? Gloria? 
Well, in the part of the future, regarding the future, we are in the process of discussing those plans. But let me tell you that since 2009, we have opened offices in Richmond and Baltimore, in addition to our main office in Washington, D.C., and seeing patients that come from the Virginia, Maryland area. So those needs for services are really needed. So we'll see what happens. But in terms of education, most definitely we will continue to grow with education and support services. As a matter of fact, in January of 2011, we will start a second cycle of monthly, uh, our monthly psychoeducational workshops for caregivers and their families. And uh, so we will continue educating those caregivers and all those people close to the survivors, which is very important. Fantastic. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, Jeanette, uh, plans for Chicago? Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we are expanding into the hospital setting, so we hope to continue um, to be able to establish um, some of our programming in hospital settings where there is large concentrations of um, Latinos. We currently are doing that in in the Pilsen community, which is our highest concentration of Mexican-Americans in Chicago, and it's our hope to continue to grow that. We, um, this year, the past two months ago, we started a a monthly group called Haciendole Frente al Cancer, um, you know, Confronting Cancer, and it's a monthly support group, and that's been um, very, very popular. One month, um, the family members and um, the the person with the diagnosis, they meet and talk about challenges, and then the subsequent months, we bring in uh, medical experts to speak to the group in Spanish, and that's been very successful, and we're hoping to be able to replicate that in those hospital settings as well. So we're very excited to hopefully um, get our foot in, in more hospital settings. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Migdalia, New York, what's happening there? What are the, what are the growth plans? You've got a pretty big, uh, pretty big geography, five boroughs that you're, you're trying to reach there, and as you said, a very significant Hispanic population. Um, what are the plans for growth to, to reach out beyond what you're currently doing? So, so through our community satellite program, which we launched in 2007, what we're going to be doing is really partnering with community organizations within the Latino community, such as hospitals, such as recreational centers, uh, faith-based organizations. I mean, we were ready in the last three years are in communities that otherwise would not be receiving the support that we offer. And so we're seeing, you know, the ability to provide this uh, support where in the neighborhoods where these communities and populations are, you know, more represented, and this is how we're going to be moving in the future. It's bringing the support to their neighborhoods where they live. We know that there are, uh, Magdalene, an increasing number of Latinos going to the internet uh, for, for for health information. Are you seeing that trend? And are you, you know, we we actually hear mixed things about whether folks want information in English, if they want it in Spanish. Um, you know, what kind of sites that 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 Latinos are going to um, online. But do you see the internet as a as a part of the future of of how Latinos will access health information? Certainly in the younger generation, without a mm-hmm. doubt. Uh, still the large, you know, the age group of our populations in the 50s and 60s, and yeah. because there's a larger, you know, uh, um, population that's immigrating uh, from other countries, I, I haven't seen that they've adapted to utilizing technology yet as a way to mm-hmm. access and information. Um, however, we are trying in our program, trying to incorporate, you know, sort of tutorials on how to access Internet, and that's how we're hoping to educate so they can have more access and we're a better able to communicate via the Internet. Um, Jeanette and, and, and Magdalia, I know, you know, obviously we have this network of 50 
uh, affiliates of the cancer support community across the country. Are you, uh, you guys are both experts. Are you kind of having conversations? I imagine others in our network are reaching out to you about how to start these kinds of programs in their communities. I know I hear a lot of folks, uh, for example, in the Midwest, I know there's a, a dramatic increases in the, uh, in the Latino population uh, in the Midwest. If you're giving advice to some of our colleagues on starting a program for uh, Latinos, what, what kind of tips would you give them? Jeanette, I'll start with you. Well, first of all, you know, I think they have to research, you know, who their constituents are um, and who mm-hmm. they're serving um, and see, you know, just like we mentioned, Latinos are a huge, a huge group and there's differences among um, the different subgroups. So just researching um, who, who their constituents are, who are the people who need the services, you know, what is their, their largest um, diagnosis, which is usually cancer, cervical, um, breast cancer, colon cancer, but diagnosing what, what, what the specific diagnoses are in their area and seeing, you know, where they can offer support to people. Because sometimes you can't start off offering everything from the beginning. You could start off small, take a couple of baby steps, and then offer support in all the different areas. So definitely getting to know um, who your constituents are and who you're serving and starting to speak to people in the community and, uh, and asking them, what is it that you need? What are your needs as a person caring for someone with cancer? So, right, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Magdalia? I would just add that, you know, you have to identify prospective partners that are already in the community, that are already Mm -hmm. engaging with this population, that may already have a trusting um, relationship within the community, and, you know, start talking about partnerships, because that's also very, very, very supportive and helpful in getting in with, you know, sort of gaining trust within these communities and being welcomed. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gloria, can you uh, just uh, do a quick recap for us of the uh, as we move towards the end of the show um, of the services that you're providing for folks at Nueva Vida and tell us your website? Yeah. Um, well, oh my God, the website. <laughs> You've got. I think it's it's a Nueva Nueva dash Vida dot org. Yes, that's one. Yeah, N U E V A dash Vida V I D A dot O R G. Right. Talking about technology. Technology. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not the best thing for people over fifty. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, uh, yes. I mean, we provide all kind of services. I mean, we. I, I think I mentioned uh, the survivorship program, which is all the, the entire scope of mental health services. We provide trainings, and we do training nationwide. We just did a training on in Miami to train. A peer counselors mm-hmm. uh, we did that for two days so that was a way to find out a little bit about their resources and how can we empower them to begin to build their own groups and uh, so that was you know tied in with the question that you were asking to Janet and Migdalia before yeah. um, so we pro- you know we provide training we provide uh, counseling services we provide access uh, navigation we provide um, um, all kinds of um, um, open houses, resources, education, I mean, you name it. The only thing we do not provide in the premises are medical services, but we do mm-hmm. have a list of resources where we, we can help them to access mm-hmm. those services, including helping them with insurance, how to, you know, be, Great. You know all, all, all aspects, including legal aspects. We have contacts with the, the community right. to do all kind of, it's a comprehensive type of service. Fantastic. So. Fantastic. So this has been really such an amazing discussion. Um, I want to thank our wonderful panelists for being here, Gloria, 
Jeanette and Migdalia, who are providing tremendous services to uh, to the Latino community. Um, I want to thank you guys for being here, for educating our listeners uh, about the challenges faced by Latinos when dealing with uh, cancer and about the many resources and growing number of resources um, that are available uh, for this population. We're really working together, all of us, to advance a national conversation about the need for additional resources uh, and support services for, for the Spanish-speaking population uh, in the United States today. Um, if you'd like to learn more about our organization, the Cancer Support Community, um, including the many uh, services and programs that we provide, um, please visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Um, you can also call us toll-free at 888-793-9355. Um, as I mentioned, at the Cancer Support Community, we have brought together the Wellness Community and Gilda's Club. We now have a network of 50 uh, affiliates across the country. We have 100 uh, satellite and off-site uh, locations, and many of our sites do provide uh, programs and services in Spanish and do very uh, targeted outreach to the uh, to the Latino community. So, obviously, our centers, uh, we've got uh, Jeanette there in Chicago. We've got Magdalia in uh, New York City. We've got centers in, uh, in Florida, in Texas, in California. Again, growing Latino population in the Midwest, where we're seeing an emerging number of services and programs for people with cancer uh, in the Midwest and really continuing to learn, continuing to grow uh, and expand these programs and, and, and services to all uh, Latinos. And we want, uh, we want Latinos with cancer and all people with cancer to know that you do not um, have to face cancer alone. So visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Again, thank you to Jeanette and uh, Migdalia, uh, who are part of our Cancer Support Community Network. Thank you to Gloria from Nueva Vida, a wonderful partner uh, of the Cancer Support Community. It's been a great conversation thank today. You. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.